Well, turn again to Hebrews this morning, if you would, to uh, chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, and um, verses 17 and 18, Hebrews chapter 2, verses uh, 17 and 18. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And again, let us pray. Father, thank you for your holy word. Thank you for just the, the joy of worship, the joy of fellowship, the joy of knowing we have such a great and glorious God who's accomplished eternal things for our soul through your holy Son. And in these moments, I again would come to thee and ask for the activity of your precious Holy Spirit to bring forth your word in a, in a way that is, is pleasing to thee, but also, Lord, in, in a way that is uh, helpful uh, and instructive to each one that is here this morning. I, I pray that you would Give us all um, eyes to see and, and ears to hear what you would have for us in your holy revelation. So may this time be pleasing to thee and good for our souls. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, last Lord's Day, our, our emphasis was particularly on uh, verse 17 in chapter 2. And our, our attention there is draw, uh, drawn to our Lord's uh, ministry as a, as a great high priest, and, which, is, of course, is a great focus in the book of of Hebrews, and, and we've noticed that this is the first time, many references to our Lord as high priest, this is uh, the first time to, uh, first reference to him in that particular capacity, um, and it's also the only book where he specifically is referred to as a high priest, although high priestly functions are ascribed to him in, in other places. Well, we saw that his um, becoming a high priest on our behalf um, required a full identification uh, with his people. Um, he had to be, verse 17 says, he had to be made like them in all things. He had to fully participate in the human condition to rightly represent us before the being of God. He had to completely embrace the human condition to represent us before God without the sin, without being a sinner. And then secondly, this full identification um, qualified him for this particular ministry, especially in two respects. One is to be a, a merciful high priest. One wrote his experience of suffering and temptation made him perfectly sympathetic to the human condition and plight. And, excuse me, and plight. So to become a merciful high priest and also to become a faithful high priest. He was faithful in that he fulfilled his messianic ministry without wavering, and therefore we can trust him and rely on him and we can depend upon him. And then we, we notice his function as a high priest or his activity was to make propitiation for the sins of his people, as to appease the being of God for the sins of his people. He, he accomplished this atoning death in our behalf. Now, as you move from verse 17 to verse 18, we see this um, high priestly ministry that it's moving in a different direction. In verse 17, it's, it's to God himself on our behalf. In verse 18, it's to the people, to his people, in, in the midst of our struggles. Uh, his 
Becoming fully human in all things resulted in his being a merciful and faithful high priest as it relates to propitiation, but also to help those who are being tempted. An older commentator, B.F. Westcott, wrote, Christ's high priestly work, which has been considered in the last clause of verse 17, in relation to God, is now considered in relation to man. In this respect, the efficacy or the effectiveness of his high priesthood, of his mercy and faithfulness, is shown in the power of its application to suffering men. He who propitiates must enter into the experience of the sinner to support him in temptation. For his sympathy acts in the crisis of danger, and not only after the fall. And this Christ can do, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. So in moving from verse 17 to 18, there are two words that I think help to facilitate movement of thought. One is propitiation and the other is help. So verse 17, making propitiation for the sins of the people, it's to God. And then still under the rubric of his high priestly ministry, verse verse 18, it's, it's him to the people, assisting them, helping them in the midst of their struggle. So propitiation, his atoning work for them in reference to God. And then, then he is presented as helping us in the midst of our, our struggles or those who are beset with various kinds of struggles. Now the question arises, um, <clears throat> why do we need any help as a high priest? Why do we need help in this world? Well, the answer is because of every Christian's perpetual battle of temptation. That's why we need his help as a high priest. Because he himself has suffered, and when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. So our Lord's work on the cross as a high priest and appeasing the wrath of God, that's necessary because of our sin. His ministry in coming to our aid is necessary because of incessant and manifold temptations. Um, So this verse is very practical, uh, very relevant, uh, because dealing with temptation is necessary. It's a front burner issue uh, for every single Christian, every child of God. No one can opt out of this particular aspect of the Christian life. And we see how crucial and relevant it is because... um, One of the few petitions that our Lord offered in his Lord's Prayer is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That was not a meaningless repetition. That was a a needed petition. And we see how applicable it is because in answer to the question, when do temptations come? The Puritan Thomas Watson said, from ourselves, our own hearts are the greatest tempters. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. The heart is a perfect decoy, he says. And so we see, we see how applicable this is because uh, the devil who prowls about like a roaring lion in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 3, he is referred to as the tempter. And kind of just picking up on that, we see the importance of this theme because the enemy is diligent in tempting. He walks about like a roaring lion. He has experienced in this diabolical practice. Thomas Watson said he, he's been well nigh as long as he has been an angel. In other words, he has been at this, this art of temptation for a long, long time. Sometimes you'll see somebody who wants to um, convey the credibility of their business and they'll have a sign out front that says something like, serving the valley since 1937. We've got a lot of experience here. And the idea here, the enemy of our souls has a tremendous amount of experience in tempting. He has power in this art because he's the prince of the power of the air. He is shrewd in this practice, employing a variety of different kinds of temptations. St. Augustine said a saint's whole life is temptation. That's what it's about in this world. 
So the very nature of the Christian life makes this aspect of our Lord's high priestly activity greatly needed. And so in light of that, I'd like to have you think with me this morning about his unique competence to help us in this particular area in two different respects. First of all, because of his own experience of, his, of being tempted, his own experience of being tempted. In verse 18, because he himself has suffered when tempted, um, the ESV says, for because, that is the ESV, for because he himself has suffered when tempted. The, the term to suffer here is to endure, to experience harm or emotional pain, and then to be tempted um, can be used in the sense of being tested, uh, that one may prove himself true. For example, in Hebrews eleven seventeen, it's used of Abraham, by faith of Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he has received the promises, was offering up his only begotten son. Um, the noun form occurs as trials in James chapter 1 and verse 2, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And, and also, it's used in a bad sense of enticement to sin. And the devil especially works in this way. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor should be in vain. Now, I would have you notice um, that if you have a New American Standard version of the Bible, the translation is, he himself was tempted in that in which he has suffered. He himself was tempted in that in which he has suffered. If you have an ESV, the words are reversed. It says, because he himself has suffered when tempted. So the New American Standard suggests that his sufferings were the source of his temptations. He, I'm, I'm tempted because of the sufferings I'm going through, or he was going through. <clears throat> the ESV, that his temptations were the source of his sufferings. The temptations that he went through were the reason for his sufferings. They're closely related thoughts. Um, <clears throat> but the ESV, as well as the King James, they all reflect the order of the original. Uh, and the, the thought would be that his temptations were the, the source or the reason for his suffering. So that, that commended itself a little bit more. It's my own thinking process. But, but commenting on the, the significance of the experience, Westcott says the suffering which was coincident with the temptation remained as the, the ground of compassion which is to say the suffering he experienced living in a world that contradicted his holy nature at every turn, that became a ground of sympathy for the people who are trying to live for his glory in a world that has not changed at all. Same thought is found in Exodus 23 and verse 9. It says, You shall not oppress a stranger, since you yourselves know the feelings of a stranger, for you also were strangers in the land of Egypt, or Deuteronomy 10.19. So show your love for the alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. So your own prior experience becomes a motivation not to oppress, but to love those who are experiencing same things that you did. So under this first heading, three considerations that show how helpful his experience is for us. Three considerations. Number one, um, he encountered a variety of temptations, a lot of different kinds of temptations. Um, one commentator says the breadth of the term temptation uh, gives a, a wide range of application. And John Owen makes the point that the, the variety of temptations gives us an insight into the nature of the sufferings that he, he went through. And just to kind of give you a sense of variety of temptation, using Owen as a guide here, one of his temptations was the general condition that he was subjected to in this world. Owen writes he was poor, despised, 
persecuted, reproached, especially from the beginning unto the end of his public ministry. Herein lay one continuous temptation, that is, a trial of obedience in all manner of hardships. In this temptation he suffered hunger, poverty, weariness, sorrow, reproach, shame, contempt, wherewith his holy soul was deeply affected. He underwent it cheerfully because it was to be the condition of them whose preservation and salvation as their own high priest he had undertaken. It's interesting to, uh, to note that on the Thursday before Lord's crucifixion, in discussion among his disciples, he, he commends them at that point in time. This is the day before he's being crucified. He says, you are they which have continued with me in my temptations. You've stood by me in my trials. His whole life he saw as one long, continuous temptation. And then Owen specifies what some of these trials were. And he gives these just as heads that could be explored, but it kind of helps us to understand the idea of the variety of trials that he went through. One would be temptation from his relations in the flesh, being disregarded and disbelieved by them, which deeply affected his compassionate heart with sorrow. From his followers being forsaken by them upon his preaching the mysteries of the gospel. From his chosen disciples, all of whom left him, one denied him and one betrayed him. From the anguish of his mother when a sword pierced through her soul in his sufferings. From his enemies of all sorts, all which are at large related in the gospel, from all which his sufferings were inexpressible. He makes the point that, that Satan was a principal hand, had a principal hand in his sufferings. And then God's desertion of him was another temptation under which he suffered. So he went through all kinds of temptations, a variety of temptations, and the thought would be that equips him uh, to be sympathetic to you and I because there are innumerable temptations that you and I or trials that we go through as well um, in this world. Secondly, his experience is helpful because of the nature of the temptation that he went through. Uh, the purpose of the temptations which came his way, at least in large part, were to keep him from fulfilling his messianic mission. That was the reason for the temptations, at least many that came into his life. One wrote, he endured keen trials and temptations himself, not only trials incidental to our human lot, but those subtle temptations which attended his messianic calling. Time and again the temptation came to him from many directions to choose some less costly way of fulfilling that calling than the way of suffering and death but he resisted it to the end and set his face steadfastly to accomplish the purpose for which he had come into the world signal example of this is the apostle peter this is from mark chapter 8 he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again he was stating the matter plainly peter took him aside and began to rebuke him but turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. So here you have the apostle Peter himself trying to dissuade him from fulfilling his messianic calling, which in itself involves great suffering. Um, and, and in fulfilling this redemptive calling, a little bit of an aside here, um, it involved great suffering, especially connected with his death. I think it's kind of ironic that Peter in his second sermon in the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 3 and verse 18 says the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ should suffer he has fulfilled. And also interestingly um, when our Lord had reclined at the table this is in the context of the Lord's Supper the apostles are with him and he says to them 
I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So the circumstances immediately surrounding his, his death are involve great suffering. But in spite of all kinds of temptations to embrace a less costly way of fulfilling his redemptive purposes, he, he endured, he persevered in fulfilling his mission. Therefore, in light of that, he's equipped, uniquely equipped to strengthen and empower you and I, those who are in danger of relinquishing their faith because it is costing them something. F.F. Bruce wrote, now this, his people were not only enduring those trials which are common to mankind, he's talking about those to whom he is writing in Hebrews, they were being tempted in their turn to be disloyal to God and give up their Christian profession. Just one example from that, from the book of Hebrews. Reading here from chapter 10, remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourself a better possession and an abiding one. And then verse 35 says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. You have great need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. And in that light, F.F. Bruce says, what a source of strength it was to them to be assured that in the presence of God, they had as their champion and intercessor, one who had known similar and even sorer temptations and had withstood them victoriously. So our, our Lord's experience of temptation, it's applicable to us when we are tempted to be disloyal in our, in our calling to follow Christ, especially when it costs something, especially when it costs us something. We have a high priest who's known similar and more intensified temptations of the same kind. He is the one who will come to our aid. He is the one who, who is our example. Well, then thirdly, under this heading, our Lord's experience of temptation, it's helpful to us because he never succumbed to its force. He was always successful in resisting temptation. Hebrews 4.15 speaks of him who has been tempted in all things, yet without sin. Now, I was reading, you may have come across this. There, there are some who object that because our Lord never sinned, he never surrendered to his, his suggestions, his ability to sympathize with us is limited. Well, I suppose that's true in one sense. He's never sinned, so his ability in that one restricted sense is limited because he's never sinned. But the fact of the matter is, if you or I are besieged by temptation, you want somebody coming to your aid who has never sinned. You want somebody who's always been victorious and triumphant over sin, not somebody that's got a 50-50 track record in overcoming sins. And so the Lord of glory was always victorious over sin. He's the one who comes to help us in time of need. So our Lord is he's uniquely qualified to help us because of the fact and the nature of his temptations and his success in overcoming them. Well, then secondly, this is all kind of interwoven, but he's always accessible to all his people at all times to help. His experience equips him to help us. Secondly, he's there to help us. He's always accessible uh, to us. The text says he's able to help those who are being tempted. The word able here is really encouraging. It means to become sufficient to meet a task or a need and then to help or come to the aid of. So it draws our attention to his unique um, 
capability to help us. And one wrote that his, his encounter with sin and the suffering of death equipped him as nothing else could have done to help ordinary sinful suffering men and women. Uh, it occurs, this, this term occurs in, in verse uh, 15 of chapter 4. It's preceded by a little particle that means not. Um, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. So the idea is we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. It's found again in chapter 7, verse 25, translated able. Hence also he is able to save those forever who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And so just by way of some um, ongoing application here, three related points under this heading, uh, just to be a, a bit repetitive here, <clears throat> he's always present to help. The verb is in the present tense. He's always there. He's always present to help. The, the Greek term, it's dunamis in the Greek. Um, one commentator says, when used positively in Hebrews, it's always related to the present activity of Christ. It's what he is doing now. It's what he's currently up to. Nowhere in Hebrews does the term denote mere possibility. So it fits in with the, the import of Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and strength, very present help in time of trouble. I, I know I've indicated before that we use the little uh, GPS feature on our phone quite a bit. You do that. You know, the, the road might be clogged a few miles ahead, so it gives you an alternate route. But occasionally, uh, you're in an area where you don't have any cell service. You probably tried that. I need some help from directions here. Well, the idea here is we're never in a situation where we can't receive help from the Lord. He's always there. There's no place we can be where he's unable to minister to us. I had kind of a, a thought that just seemed so simple. You probably just act like this is really cool, but... Um, I, I was thinking it was just amazing to me because ever since I've become a Christian, prayer is really a precious part of my Christian life. Like, like you, prayer is a, a very precious part of the Christian life. And I, I, it's quite amazing to me that I can pray to the Lord in Washington and he hears me. And I've prayed to him in Montana and he hears me there as well. And I've actually prayed to him in California and he hears me there as well. And it's just a cool thing. It doesn't matter where you're at. He's a present help in time of trouble. He's a high priest who can come to our aid. It doesn't matter where you're at on the planet because he's fully present in all places at all times. Well, and he's a sufficient help. Uh, this term connotes the idea of power. In fact, if you look up the word dynamite or dynamic, it's a derivative of this Greek term. One might show up with good motives, but they can't help. He's got the ability to assist us and help us in overcoming subjection to temptation. Well, Peter O'Brien says, the emphasis in the passage on Christ's personal experience of temptation suggests this help includes um, the strength for them to stand firm in the face of their own trials, particularly those temptations to be disloyal to God and to their Christian profession. Um, the same thought is, is found in Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. Well, then, then thirdly, I, it's a redemptive help. And, and what I mean by that is I don't think the, con the, the context is not irrelevant here. Uh, for a believer in Christ, it is empowering, it's strengthening to know that the, the one who made propitiation for our sins, that's the same one that is able to help. The, the, the one who has atoned for all of our sins and brought us into a living relationship with the being of God, that's the same one that is able to help and assist us at all times. So closing, let me give you two helps to being helped here. Two helps to being helped. Number one, 
Um, in the midst of temptation, cry out to the Lord in prayer. That's how you access him. Cry out to the Lord in prayer. John Owen says, temptations cast souls into danger. They have need under them of relief. Their kinds are various. So are their degrees and seasons, but all dangerous. The great duty of tempted souls is to cry out unto the Lord Christ for help and relief. Psalm 145, 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. So one help to being helped is to cry out to the Lord of glory. He hears and responds. Number two, which you might not expect, but I'll leave this with you kind of. Let your character be free from the love of money. This is a help to being helped. Let your character be free from the love of money. I was struck by the language of Hebrews 13, 5. Let your character be free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. Why? Reason number one, he himself said, I will never desert you nor will ever forsake you. So the reason to be content with all we have is we have God and we will always have all of God. That's the, the motive for being content. A second reason is that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid what man shall do to me. So the idea is an inordinate preoccupation with material things. It is a hindrance to being helped by the Lord of glory in time of need. Well, Augustine was certainly right. A saint's whole life is temptation. But for you and I, that should not cause panic or despair because he himself has suffered when tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. And let us pray, shall we? Father, we thank you this day that we have such a, a Savior in Christ. We have a, a Savior that is able to help us and willing to help us and capable of helping us. And, and Lord, we're aware of... Um, what a challenge it is to live for your glory in this life. And we are aware that there are temptations of all kinds on every side. So I, I pray this consideration would be of great help to our thinking process to know that we have such a high priest that has not left us to ourselves, but through him, by your spirit, we are empowered and strengthened to live for your glory in all places at all times. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.